Mark chapter 14 and verse 10. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Let's go down to verse 42. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. And immediately while he had spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he take him and lead him away safely. <laughs> Doesn't that sound ironic? Lead, lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goes straightway to his master and saith, Master, Master, how blasphemous, Master. And he kissed him, and they laid their hands on him and took him. Judas Iscariot, the disciple that all of us struggle to understand. We understand the prophecies of Scripture, the purpose in all of this. We know, not like the disciples, we know because we have the completed Scripture to see God and the prophecies foretelling His betrayal, even the price and what would be done with the money, the death of Judas, all of that was foretold. But we look back when Christ chooses the 12 disciples. And here is a man a little distinct from the rest because he was from Judea. The rest were from the area of Galilee. He was a man probably a little lesser known by the disciples. He wasn't a fishing partner. He wasn't a brother or cousin as some of the rest of the disciples. But when he was chosen... Uh, there was no one there that questioned him being chosen. And to consider a man like Judas being commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ and traveling with him for three and a half years, I know that it was Christ that was betrayed, but I believe every one of the disciples at this moment felt betrayed because they thought we were convinced you were real. We were convinced that you were a Christian. You preached with us. You won souls with us. You performed miracles with us. You traveled with us. You memorized the scriptures. You participated in all of the events. And even looking back, we all have had people surprise us in good ways and in negative ways. And sometimes when we see someone self-destruct, we look back in hindsight and we point at the signs that we ignored at the moment. But there were very few signs that they missed because he was such an incredible hypocrite, perfect at what he was doing, chosen to be treasurer. The Bible tells us that for three and a half years he was stealing from the bag. And none of the disciples ever guessed, ever had a clue what... Judas was doing or his real intentions. And when we consider this story, there's so much here that has been spoken about in the past. Nothing new this morning, I doubt, will be said, but a simple reminder. Because I think as a pastor, I look back and 
If one of the twelve was a Judas, how many men have I counseled and talked to and pastored and prayed with and possibly even taken out with me on so many endeavors that have not been born again? I cannot tell you the trepidation of a pastor that stands in a pulpit week after week and considers a crowd, now that I have two, an English crowd and a Spanish crowd, considers the crowd and thinks, who here is not born again? Now, incredibly, this is incredibly horrifying and sad because of the nature of his life with the Lord Jesus Christ. The amount of times reading the gospel and knowing this man from the morning hours until the late evening hours was literally in the presence of God in the flesh, the very Son of God, a more powerful and spirit-filled speaker he couldn't have listened to. But not hundreds of hours, because you have to remember this, you rush in and out of church for a 45-minute message, and anything beyond an hour is long and extensive. But... In Christ's day, these men were spending all day standing, sitting, listening, hearing. And I promise you this, this is a day and age of teachers when very little preaching is done. Information is given. The Bible prophesied the end times. Men would reject the truth and heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We don't mind the information, but with Christ, it wasn't just information. It was powerful, spirit-filled truths that weren't just reaching the ears or the minds of the hearers, but the very hearts. Now, I will say this. I do believe that Judas possibly entered in as one of the twelve with confusion. Yes, we understand All the disciples had a level of confusion concerning Christ, thinking that he would establish an earthly kingdom and an earthly ministry. We understand that actually lasted for all 12, all the way up to the time of his crucifixion and resurrection. That's why they abandoned Christ, because they thought we're going to rule and reign with him upon the earth during his life. But they didn't understand that he came to die. But when it came to... Judas, there was a different level of confusion. And here's my biggest fear as a pastor. People, every man before salvation has a level of confusion. That's what Satan does. He plays with the minds of men. So concerning salvation, he'll add works or he'll add baptism. He'll add church membership. He'll get you to put your faith and trust in someone or something other than the Lord Jesus Christ to keep you from heaven. So he'll give you a a slice of truth mixed with air to confuse you. But I'm not talking about those out in the world. I'm talking about those that have heard the gospel repeatedly or grown up in a church like this where... The confusion is not over works, but the confusion is over a true salvation experience. And here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to place doubt in minds. But average independent Baptists now will never broach this subject because too many in their own congregation will get saved. Now, I, I want you to be very cautious in your listening this morning because I know... Uh, what even my own Baptist brethren will do with this kind of message. 
we have in our midst a mixture of saved and unsaved. Some that might be hearing the gospel for the first time or the third or maybe the tenth time, but we have others that have heard the gospel like Judas hundreds of times. So when we talk about a confusion, we're talking about not the confusion of does this involve Mary, does this involve a saint, does this involve a work, does this involve a sprinkling, does this involve a catechism class, not that level of confusion. We're talking about confusion with salvation experience, which means you understand the gospel, you come under Holy Ghost, did you know salvation includes Holy Ghost conviction? Now, here's what happens. We like to get everyone saved uh, without the Holy Ghost involved, which is impossible. You could get thousands or hundreds of thousands of people to repeat a prayer, but repeating words doesn't make a man a born-again child of God unless there's Holy Spirit conviction that settles on the heart of that person to bring them not just to a true understanding, but cause them to reach out with a repentant heart putting their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you remember that day? Let me, let me see your hands. Was your salvation just an understanding or was there something that settled over your heart and soul that was drawing you to Christ and bringing you to the understanding, I'm a sinner condemned and headed to hell. You remember that moment? For the first time in your life, there was serious trepidation about your eternal destiny. And without that conviction, you wouldn't have been pushed into a Holy Spirit of God push, a heavenly push towards the Lord Jesus Christ. So it went from an understanding of the mind to conviction of the heart that led you to make a decision. Okay, am I going to confess Christ and receive him as my personal Savior or am I going to reject him? So here's what I believe happened in the case of Judas. I believe that at some point there was confusion over who Christ was and possibly over the subject of salvation. But there's no way you can convince me after three and a half years of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that confusion lingered. There had to have been an understanding at some point, at least over a simplicity of salvation in order to get saved. But here's what has to happen. When a person goes from confusion to understanding, then he's faced with a choice, acceptance or rejection. Can you imagine, I've seen people come under Holy Ghost conviction in a service and uh, some visibly respond, some facially respond, some tremble, some cry, some sit, some glare, but you see a difference in their countenance when the Holy Spirit of God brings them to that level of conviction. Now, here's what we've seen at the altar. Some have quickly responded by moving forward. Some have sought others. Recently in Spanish church, we had a couple that responded to the invitation. And before I could give an explanation, they stood up and kind of looked around and kind of wandered around like, what do we do next? But we've got to respond to the gospel. That wasn't a human response in the sense of something forced by the pastor, but that was an impulse from inside forced by the Holy Spirit of God. You understand the difference. But at some point when you understand and there's conviction, then you have to make a decision. Do I respond and receive Christ or do I reject it? And I believe that there's no way 
that Judas could go three and a half years under the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, deception leads to self-deception, and his life was one that was permeated with deception and self-deception. And here's what's so scary. Young people that grow up in this kind of environment can easily fall into this category of not a confusion of salvation concerning works, but understanding it's by faith through Christ alone without works. But they may have made a profession that never included conviction. And here's what happens. Then they have to begin fitting into a culture that's not Christ in, in them but simply rules and regulations in a Christian culture. And they uh, do not have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. You know, you know what brings a spiritual hunger and spiritual desire? It's the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. And the pain of trying to live a Christian life without the Holy Spirit of God is it's a very difficult endeavor that's consistently challenging. So you have young people that at some point, someone got them to make a profession of faith and told them they were saved. But the Spirit of God didn't move in. There wasn't conviction. There was a prayer. And, and now, okay, they're just repeating what they've heard. I'm, I'm a born, born again child of, of God. But it begins to become very obvious at times that that child, it, it happened in our own home with some of our own children. But it became very obvious that these children do not have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them. And then the confrontation of truly being born again. So when I talk about confusion, I'm talking about the confusion of uh, why is the Christian life such a struggle? Why is the Word of God not of interest? Why do I refuse prayer? Why, why don't I like the brethren? Why don't I enjoy this scenario? It's the absence of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, here's why I, I feel on one side, I do feel pity for Judas because, folks, I'm, I'm in church every day of the week except Monday, and then I just come here by choice just to be in God's house. Between literally Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I'm in God's house, and I love this place, and I love being around Christians. I can't imagine another life, and I can't imagine another world. But, but no one has to encourage me. I've never needed a phone call. Say, are you going to go to church on Sunday? Do you think you'll be there for so? Do you think you want to read your Bible? I've never needed a rule, a command, a push, or a mandate. There's something inside of me that gravitates that way. And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm just talking about there is a hunger. At times it's not as strong as it should be or could be. But there is a desire. There is a hunger. Can you imagine the awkwardness of Judas being in this circumstance with no spiritual desire, but he's been commissioned? Now you have to talk to God about this, but he was actually empowered Okay, if you're sent two by two, there were no complaints by the other disciples. We cast out demons, but Judas can't. We win souls, but Judas doesn't. We serve others, but Judas always hangs out in the background and ignores his responsibilities. There was no disciple there complaining about Judas and his inability to serve or his uh, fault of uh, capability in the work that they were commissioned to do. No one there complained about, well, Judas doesn't go with us to the garden of prayer, and Judas doesn't help us in, in uh, passing out the fish and the loaves and, 
and Judas. No, there was absolutely no complaint. Matter of fact, I don't believe there was just trust. I believe there was additional trust because when it comes to being a treasurer that's dealing with money, you need additional trust in the person that's handling the money. So here's what's so sad. Judas is there. He's heard the truth. He's understood the truth. If you're the Lord Jesus Christ, there had to be some level of conviction, and I would guess not once or twice, but dozens of times. And with that rejection of truth comes a hardening. I wonder because we had a pastor that used to come here years ago. I remember Brother Carl Woodbury. He got saved as a pastor. He had pastored for years and come to the realization he'd never been born again. He got saved. And I remember him preaching meetings and conviction. And I, I knew I was saved, but there, there were times, how, how many of you sat under Brother Woodbury and ever just reject your salvation? In Judas's case, there was no sensitivity. There was an absolute Coldness, how can you sit under this level of preaching, this spirit-filled preaching, this direct preaching? How can you sit and hear about the wheat and the tares? How can you sit and hear about the gathering of the sheep and the goats? How, how can you sit and hear? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name done many wonderful works. This is Judas. And then why stand it? Depart. From me and Judas will hear those words. But to think that he sat there, but I tremble to think how many times those that have attended this church have heard the gospel and by how many different voices, how many different preachers in how many different ways. Some in school and Bible college and church setting and conferences and some of the greatest voices of our generation have preached behind this pulpit. Holy Spirit of God has moved in a special way. And here's what's sad, the opportunities that were given, and yet there was a continual hardening of the heart, and never once was there enough humility to admit his condition. Here's what salvation is based upon. When confronted, well, pastor, everyone thinks it doesn't matter who thinks it matters, what God thinks and what the truth is. To me to think, Looking at my congregation, the people here, knowing the truth, hearing the truth, some rejecting the truth. Now, here's what's said. I believe at some point the rejection of the truth brings us to a point of self-deception. And I truly am convinced that the longer that Judas went, the more self-deceived he was in what he was doing. How many of you have ever met someone that delights so much they believed their own lies? And they just thought whatever I speak is true so I can speak anything. And it has to be truth because I'm, it's, I, these guys are psychopaths. I've met them. And you just listen and you, okay, this isn't even debatable. I can, this is provably, undeniably false. And yet you just speak it as if it were truth. You've, you've lost track of truth. I believe Judas at some point his rejection, Christ was truth. And the more you rejected Christ, the more you rejected truth to the point that literally we're dealing with a psychopath here who, who's living a great lie of self-deception. It's, here's what's so sad. He had to live all these years as a hypocrite. 
In church, when we talk about hypocrisy, okay, here's, here's what the Bible tells us in these chapters. I don't, I don't want to give uh, or take the time to go through each one of the gospel, but look what it says in verse 11. When they heard it, they were glad they promised to what? To give him money. We know what this was about, the greed of his heart. So Judas jumps on board the Jesus train because Judas is all about himself. He's a greedy person. It's what is in this for me? And we watch many people do this. Judas is not alone. There are many people going to churches all across the world. And it's what can Jesus give me? What can Jesus do for me? It's not about salvation. It's greed and he was greedy. And to think, okay, here's, here's what I want you to consider for just a moment. The, the evil of the hypocrisy of Judas He's going to betray the Son of God. Remember this. We're celebrating Christmas. God in the flesh, come to the earth. The evil of betraying any man. But the Son of God, for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. We're talking about in today's monetary value, 10 to $20. You've traveled with this man. You've watched him. He He just washed your feet. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ, his grace, his patience, he chose you, and then he loved you for three and a half years. Folks, one of my greatest challenges as a pastor is knowing people that hate me, despise me, and would betray me or have betrayed me, and yet my biblical spiritual obligation is to love them and show, that's not deception, that's not hypocrisy, that's a Bible command. Pastor, why would you hug them? God commands me to. Hypocrisy is not loving or showing love to someone you should hate. It's hating someone you should love. And that's where Judas found himself. And for 30 pieces of silver, and here's what the Bible, go go to John 18. This is one of the most astounding passages to me in all the Bible. I think we overlook some of the more astounding passages. John 18 Look what it says in verse 4. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, he went forth and he said to them, Whom seek ye? And they answered to him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus has said to them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he said to them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. You say, why is this so astounding? For a multitude of reasons, but let me tell you the main reason. This is the absolute pinnacle of hypocrisy. Because Judas said, in the darkness of night, in order for you to identify the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to betray him with a kiss. Now, if I was going to betray someone, for I, I can't understand the hypocrisy on that level. With a kiss? That's evil. Okay, he's got to profane the very Son of God. He's got to profane his private place of prayer. So he washes your feet, and then you're going to go to his place of prayer, and you're going to take this crowd, and you're going to turn him over, betray him with a... This is so diabolically evil. Now, it is diabolical because the Bible does tell us that Satan, what? Entered into him. It's one thing to be possessed by demons. Okay, they're literally 
millions of demons. We're not talking about a demon. We're not talking about demonic oppression or possession. We're talking about the one and only Satan literally entering into Judas. He was already despicable and vile. But when you reject the Lord Jesus Christ repeatedly, you are opening up your door, the door of your soul, to evil that you can't even comprehend. But to me, this is the pinnacle of hypocrisy and evil. Because when they go, and he's going to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ, when they get there, Christ eliminates the necessity of the kiss. He knows what's going on. And he says, uh, whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And when he says that, the crowd falls literally. They fall back. The power of his presence. And then he asks him again. Uh, why are you here? Jesus. He said, I've already told you once. And Judas still steps forward. Young people, let me tell you something about the life of hypocrisy. Not only is it evil, it'll make you into an evil, evil person. Because you have to reject truth over and over and over and over again. Your life has to be built one lie after another. Every day that it's lived is simply another lie. Your rejection of salvation means you're trying to appear to be Christian when you have no Christ inside of you. You're trying to appear to be spirit-led when you know nothing of the Spirit of God. And here's what happens. They're in that place. Go back with me to Mark for just a moment. Here's what's sad to me. The incredible pressure to fit in. We know what's happening. They're in the upper room. He's been anointed. There's a conversation that takes place. I, I can't believe how well he fit in. How do you explain? Go back with me to John. Let's go to John 13. But let's read verse 18 through 21 before we leave Mark. Mark 14, 18. And as he sat, did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him, One by one, Is it I? Now, let me just say this. The other disciples are lesser known, but not one of them pointed at another person and said, I know who it is. Now, betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is pretty extreme what's being revealed to them. But let me ask you this. If, if I said someone in here is not saved and you're going to betray me to death, you know what you do in your natural mind? You've seen enough faults and failures in the rest, you'd begin to pick out seven people. Top 10 chart, right? I know who that is. I knew they were a fake. Yeah, they fooled a lot of people. They didn't fool me. But in this case, each disciple, the Bible says, looked around the room and said, there ain't no fakes in here. When you travel with people for three and a half years, there are a lot of things you see that other people don't see. There are a lot of faults and failures, and you begin to take apart. You know what happened after three and a half years of marriage. Some of you have a husband or wife to say, it's my wife that would betray. It's my husband that would betray. But in this case, they looked around the room and not a single person pointed at Judas. Now go with me to John 13, verse 21. Astounding to see how the disciples responded to all of this. 
John 13, 21, look what it says. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled. Troubled. Now, Judas did trouble him. And it troubles me to think that we would have unsaved. And here he's troubled the hypocrisy. He was troubled at the greed. He was troubled at his eternal destiny. He was troubled at the rejection of love. He was troubled by a lot of things. But he's troubled the spirit. He testified. He said, verily, verily, I said to you, the one of you should betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask. <laughs> Come on, tell me you, you never thought about being present to see this. So Jesus says this. John's leaning on him. Peter looks at John. Says, Come on, buddy, get the truth out. Get the answer. Who is it? Simon Peter, that's a feminine tendency. Curiosity. He must have had a soy latte right before the meeting. <laughs> Amen. That's just a little addition to the message this morning. You got disturbed. You need it. Verse 25. He then like Jesus Christ said to him, Lord, who is it? So he follows Peter's nudging. And Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of now, let me ask you this. Okay, put yourself there. One of you betrayed me. They are clueless. It grows quiet. I, I wonder if Peter, he, he was a loud mouth. I wonder, he must have just said it right there in front of everyone. Or slightly calmly, if he was close enough. Just ask him, who? So John does. Now, John was probably a little more discreet than Peter. Lord, can you just tell who? Now, here's what I don't believe. I don't believe that he whispered to John. I don't believe that's personal conversation. I believe he said it. Whoever I give the sop to, it is he that will betray me. And then he takes the sop and he gives it to Judas. Bingo, lights come on. Oh, you, we should have known. Guess what? Hold on, keep reading. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do, he's saying this out loud. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he had spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Jews had the bag, that Jesus said unto him, Buy the things that we have need of against the feast, for that he should go give something to the poor. Do you, do you see what they thought of Judas? He's just a great disciple. He's going to go be taking care of the poor on a night like this when all the rest of us are enjoying the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It did not enter into their mind a single moment. The deception was so incredible, the hypocrisy. Now think about this. The pain of the hypocrisy, because he sat through all those messages, he endured all this, he was commissioned, he sent out, but he performed. He performed. Now would you listen to me this morning? Here's what's scary about an environment like this. When you take kids through a club program and a Christian school in this kind of environment, you have people that can perfect. They have been taught how to meet and greet and sit and walk and dress and talk and act. And Judas had performed so well that the 11 handpicked by Christ that lived with him for three and a half years never one time let it cross their mind 
that he wasn't anything except one of the greatest living Christians on the planet. Church, would you hear me this morning? I'm not here to tell you who's saved, who's not saved, who has the Spirit of God, who does not have the Spirit of God. I'm here to tell you we have in this crowd both saved and unsaved, and you cannot distinguish with the naked eye. And I don't care if you've lived with them their whole lives, you've taught them in a school, or you've worked with them in a ministry, you cannot tell who is saved and unsaved. You can have an idea, and by their fruits, you can have an, uh, a good guess. But at the end of the day, there are people that have so perfected the art of Christian performance that even the greatest of spiritual leaders will be left clueless. Let me ask you this this morning. Here's what's sad. The sad thing about the story of Judas is the loss of opportunity because this is, this is literally a monument that is left for 2,000 years for every generation in every part of the world to understand there was no greater loss of opportunity than Judas because you walked with the Lord Jesus Christ for three and a half years. You heard him preach. You could have responded dozens of times. You're going to kiss his cheek and burn in hell. You missed. You missed. Here's, here's what's sad. We, we know when he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, some say there was a level of repentance. Oh, there was no level of repentance at all. Uh, there is a huge difference between repentance and remorse. So in his mind, possibly, he thought, if, if I betray him, he will rise up, overthrow the Roman Empire, establish an earthly kingdom. He won't allow himself to be killed. Well, you don't understand his purpose. It is to die. But here's what he does. In anything that is spiritually, anyone spiritually minded, which Judas was not, you're going to come. He should have fallen on his face before God and cried out for mercy with a heart of repentance. That's not what he does. He takes the money. He goes to the temple to return what he was paid. Suddenly, these people become pious. We can't take that. That wouldn't be lawful for us. That's blood money. So he throws it out on the temple floor, and he goes out, and he hangs himself. But he wasn't even very good at that because according to the book of Acts, either the tree limb broke or his noose was not done properly and he fell from wherever he hung himself. The Bible said basically his body exploded and his bowels gushed out. That's not my description. That's the Bible description. But here's what's so sad. The words of holy writ for all eternity are these. It would have been better had this man never been born. Young people, to live your life, know the truth, reject the truth, and die and burn it in hell. God would say the same of you. It would be better to never to have been born than to know the truth, reject the truth and live an eternal destiny that is eternal condemnation because of the rejection of that truth. So let me ask you one more time this morning. I want to preach to you this morning as if it were my last opportunity. 
Are you saved? Biblically, born again. Because if you die having sat in this auditorium, having heard the truth, repeatedly heard the truth, and given the opportunity, it would be better to have never been born than to be put in this spot, reject the truth, and die and burn forever in a devil's hell. So let me ask you today, has there ever been a time when you understand the gospel? I believe everyone in here understands the gospel. I don't really believe that's the question this morning. If you understood the gospel, come under conviction and responded in humility through repentance and faith that brought the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. If you want to check your salvation, all you have to do is check the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. If he's not there, you're not a child of God. Today, I wouldn't do what Judas did. I wouldn't give Satan another opportunity to harden your heart. I would respond, forget who else is here, forget what anybody else thinks. Forget that your mom has told you that you got saved when you were four or you had an uncle. Forget all of that. Let's just think about your eternal destiny and whether or not you're a born-again child of God. And if you're not today, you need to get that settled.